Welcome back to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this podcast. And with me today, I get to welcome back Tim Chester. Tim, welcome back to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. Thank you. Uh, can you uh, please just catch us up on what's going on in your life, marriage, ministry, and what are you working on ministry-wise? Uh, I've got a couple of books that have uh, just come out. Uh, one is called The Beauty of the Cross, and that's a series of meditations on Isaiah 53. It's designed for people to use in the run-up to Easter. So just very short readings for each day and then a prayer or a meditation. And then I've got a book in the uh, Good Book Company's God's Word for You series, which has just come out on the book of Revelation. Oh, wonderful. uh, That's out this, I think it's out now, actually. Yeah, I think I have it coming on the way from the good book. So I'm I'm looking forward to to reading that. Excellent, excellent. Um, Well, today we're going to talk about one of your other books with your friend, uh, Lewis Allen, The Glory of Grace and Introduction to Puritans in their own words. Uh, can you tell us why you wrote it and how it's being received? Uh, yes, we, I mean, uh, Lewis and I have both uh, uh, over the years have really kind of profited from reading the Puritans. The Puritans were a group of um, leaders, church leaders, mostly in Britain, uh, although there's a kind of Dutch Puritan movement as well. And then, of course, the Puritans, uh, many of them uh, were exiled, left the UK to come to uh, the United States so they were very much sort of foundational to the uh, founding of the United States but uh, men who were uh, evangelical, reformed uh, and wanting uh, a kind of pure, uh, they wanted to renew the church in uh, in, uh, in Britain particularly uh, and they, that's why they were called Puritans they were purists, uh, it wasn't particularly a term of uh, that they chose it was a little bit like uh, calling someone an extremist or today uh, you know, they, they were considered a little bit too extreme and so they were kind of pure you know a bit puritanical we even use that language still today and so they uh, but they were godly men uh, with a deep passion for christ and so they were very active in the life of the church and then later in the life of the the kind of political life of uh, our country here in the uk but also they were uh, great pastors at heart they were preachers of god's word and pastors of god's people and they've left us in their writings this kind of treasury uh, a great pastoral resource really uh, but of course they were uh, all this was all taking place in the 17th century it's about 400 years ago uh, the kind of language they used uh, now feels very dated to us a lot of the vocabulary is uh, is not familiar uh, they tended to write very long sentences that are a bit difficult for us to follow we're very used to uh, these days where uh, we read very short sentences and so on so what we wanted to do was just give people a taste of uh, all this rich Puritan writing and uh, so we've made some selections and then we've just uh, we didn't do a lot. We didn't want to. Uh, that's why you know. That's why the subtitle talks about it in their own words. We're not. We, we didn't want to rewrite it, uh, but we want. But we wanted to make it a little bit more accessible. So we've uh, replaced all the outdated words, all the kind of saith and um, doeth and all of that. Just put said and does and so on. All just that uh, modern language. Some of the words that are unfamiliar, we've replaced them. Chopped up some of the sentences so they're a bit shorter. Put in some headings so that people can find their way around. Hopefully, uh, we want it to. Uh, still feel like the voice of the Puritans, but for it to be much more accessible and understandable. Yeah, I felt like it was definitely very a very helpful book. And, and when you said uh, long sentences, I had to laugh. I, w- I was laughing a little bit because when you read guys like John Owen, you're going to read really long
long sections and run-on sentences almost. Well, it's run-on sentences to us, but not to them, of course. Um, yes, it's often said of John Owen that uh, he thought in Latin, and <laughs> um, so that when we read his English, it's almost as if he's translating from Latin to English. So uh, it's he's not he's not the easiest person to read, but it's, there's just so much uh, uh, richness there. Not just uh, good sound theology, but a real pastoral warmth, and uh, and so that they, they are a delight to read if you uh, make the effort and hopefully uh, we've made that a little bit easier for people. Definitely. I do feel like you have, so thank you. Um, why should Christians read church history in general and more specifically, why they why should they learn uh, from the Puritans today? Yeah, I think one, I mean, there are a number of reasons. I mean, one is that one that I've mentioned that uh, there's just such a richness there for us to draw upon. But I also feel when I'm reading church history uh, that it's it allows me to view myself from outside you know, one of the challenges for us as Christians all the time is that uh, we are shaped by the culture around us. Uh, and that's fine. That's inevitable. But what we've always got to be distinguishing is what we think, uh, what we believe, what we value. How much is that being shaped by God's word, by the gospel? And how much is it being shaped by our culture, particularly when those things clash? And the problem, though, is that culture isn't this sort of thing that you, it's it's more like the air you breathe or the uh, if we were fish, that would be the water we swim in. You know, do, do, do fish have much of a sense of water? I don't know. But, you know, one imagines that actually it's just this, that they just live their lives entirely within it. And so it is with culture. We live our lives entirely within culture. And it, we can't find a kind of place to where we can kind of view it from the outside so that we can see it more clearly. But I think that's what church history does for us. It allows us, as we read, uh, and to, to kind of sort of look from outside of our own culture on, on our culture. Culture, and that allows us to get a better sense of what belongs to the gospel and what belongs to uh, what actually is just a reflection of, uh, of our culture. So I think that's one really helpful thing that church history does for us. And in one sense, when it feels a bit weird, that actually doesn't mean that you know, it's very easy at that point to go, well, they're just all a bit weird, weren't they, and sort of dismiss them. But actually, that in a sense, that's the point really where we start to, if we kind of turn around as it were and look back on ourselves, where we're able to view ourselves with a bit more objectivity. Yeah. Uh, so that's why I think reading church history is important. The Puritans, they really, they were people who um, wrestled with the meaning of scripture and of salvation, uh, of God. Uh, they were very God-centered. I think that's, but, but, you know, if you're going to pick one thing, I think that's what it would be. They were very God-centered uh, and uh, they allowed his power and his glory to kind of dominate their thinking. But also they were wrestling with the stuff of life, what it meant to be a church, what it meant to, uh, how, uh, with politics. They were, they were very keen to apply their theology to everyday life. Uh, they weren't kind of ivory towered at all. They were stuck into the stuff of life. Uh, but there's another thing, we'll perhaps come back to this when we uh, get into some of the detail. They, were, they suffered as well. Uh, it, it, actually, in political terms, in the end, they lost. Uh, you know, they uh, they didn't uh, win the uh, the sort of political struggles, and so they ended up as a defeated people. But out of that grew this very rich pastoral flexion on suffering. Yeah, that's really that's a really helpful answer. Um, I had a friend the other day. He said to me, um, he's like, I'm really struggling. He's taking his church history class at our church, and um, he, he's really struggling with uh, reading Bruce. I think it's Bruce Shelby's uh, book on church history, which I've heard, I haven't personally read it, but I've heard that it's highly recommended and um, he's like I'm just having a hard time uh, reading church history and 
I said to him, I said, you know, view church history as, you know, God's story in the life of his his people. And and that kind of helped him a little bit to just see that, you know, these are these are real people that, you know, love God and, lo- you know, wanted to serve the church and help people understand uh, sound doctrine. And he, he loves all of that. And I said, I think that'll help you to um, appreciate church history. And he also is a fan of the Puritans, but he's just getting into church history. So just for somebody that is just, you know, starting out with church history, just realize it's going to take some time to to maybe get familiar with the names and the um, everything that's happening, but it's it's well worth your time and study to to learn about the men and women that God used in in the life of His church. Yes, it's it's a kind of um, acknowledgement that we are part of the church, and we often use that language to mean obviously primarily the local church, but then we want to acknowledge that we're part of a universal church that stretches around the world. We're connected to Christians right across the world, but we're also connected to Christians right across the ages. And uh, so being part of the church and honoring the church, this church that Christ himself died to create, is honoring those who came before us and uh, recognizing that we have much to learn from them, uh, sometimes from their mistakes, but uh, also from uh, the way that they struggled with the issues of their day. And I think that has so much to uh, help us as we uh, struggle with the issues of our day and seek to apply the scriptures to the issues uh, that we face today. Yeah, how would how does church history, maybe even just the Puritans, how does that help us to uh, uh, handle our own issues today, our, our theological um, you know, debates, our it's the stuff in our Christian lives. Um, how can they help us? Uh, I think, you know, in, in one sense is that they were godly men who were deeply uh, embedded in the scriptures. And so the theology that they wrote uh, is just a great resource to draw upon. Uh, second thing is, as I said a moment ago, that they allow us to look at ourselves from outside. They give us a kind of vantage point uh, to view our, to look back on our own culture and view that uh, with fresh eyes. And then, you know, they were struggling with many of the issues that we struggle with. And I think there's, there's just a great, great deal of help to be found in the Puritans, as there is with many other periods of church history. Yeah, well, um, you know, the Puritans are well known for their writing on, on sanctification. Um, how do the Puritans help Christians grow in their understanding of sanctification? I think uh, one would be uh, something I've mentioned already, which is they were very God-centered. Uh, so they were not a kind of, it was not a kind of self-help culture where uh, everybody was interested in sort of six ways to live a happy life. They What they were interested in was what did it mean, what does it mean to worship God, to honor God in your lives, to have God at the center. And uh, and so it was not sort of pandering to human beings uh, and our, our desires and how we can kind of fulfill our desires. It was about radically reshaping our desires so they conformed to God's desires, God's glory. And yet, because of that, it, beca- it is immensely practical. Uh, it's not that that's some kind of an alternative to being practical. That is actually the ultimate way to be really practical. And and they had that in mind, and they were, you know, they were um, a bit notorious for their lists. You know, they were keen to 
to really spell out in practical terms, one, two, three, four, what you were supposed to do with scripture. A lot of Puritan sermons would have this sort of section called uses, which was to what use can we put this scripture that we've been seeing? Uh, and so by being God-centered, they were very practical. The other thing I think I would add is that uh, they had a very uh, strong understanding of the human heart and the way it works and the importance of the affections. And a lot of that language that uh, have, I think perhaps in recent years has been co commonplace about uh, uh, capturing our desires for, for God is actually language that people have learned and picked up from the Puritans. And uh, so there's a sort of rich resource there for us uh, to help us grow uh, in our Christian faith and in our struggle with sin. Uh, they, they, were, they had a very serious doctrine of skin, sin. They were not lightweights on sin, uh, but by pointing us to Christ, they gave us ways out of, uh, of sin. Yeah, I'm just reminded of uh, guys like John Owen. He wrote so helpfully, in particular, on this this subject you know on indwelling sin and uh, on mortification and and other particular topics and he, the john owen in particular has been very influential just in my own theological development um and when he talked about guarding the heart um flavel wrote on that and others and and just reading those guys the, their books will you know help help that tremendously so um you wrote on uh, william bridges in this in this book and he wrote helpfully on on suffering how does his teaching on suffering help christians find comfort in afflictions uh yes i i think you have to start you have to recognize that bridges himself suffered he was uh, exiled in the 1630s uh, uh that was a period in in english history where charles the first was on the throne who was uh, he was not a fan of puritans at all and his uh, archbishop who was uh, william lord uh, made life very difficult for puritans and so as a result william bridges had to go onto the continent and minister there for a while uh, and then a kind of uh, sort of 30 odd years later when charles ii came to the throne there were a whole series of acts of parliament that went through and uh, many puritan ministers just felt under conscience that uh, they could not accept what was being imposed upon them and so in 1662 that's what's often called the great ejection where uh, about 2000 ministers were uh, uh, resigned left they were kind of forced out of the Church of England, including William Bridges. So, uh, you know, he was exiled, he lost his job, he knew what it was to suffer. So uh, when he writes about suffering, he's not writing in the abstract, it's not theory, this is born out of his own experience. And one of the key things that is true of him and of uh, all the Puritans is a very strong sense of God's providence, that God is in control. And what Bridge does with that then says, if God is in control, if he is pursuing his purposes, uh, then he has some purpose for this suffering. Uh, it's not a sign that uh, uh, sort of events have escalated uh, out of control. Uh, God is using this in my life. And so he then is very keen to help us uh, think through how it is that God uses suffering uh, and gives us a whole number of pointers uh, to see God's work uh, in suffering. Uh, I get, uh, one other thing, though, uh, just while uh, on William Bridges, there's a lovely little section where he talks about how Christ is always suited to our needs. And so he has this sort of little list where he goes through different things that people might be struggling with and then identifies some aspect of the work of Christ or the character of Christ that is particularly suited to uh, that need. And he kind of invites us then to sort of make this part of our routines when we are struggling to think what is it this this 
this need that I have that I'm struggling with, uh, how is it that Christ meets that need? And then to sort of turn to Christ in that moment. And it's uh, it's quite lovely the way he does that. Hmm, that's wonderful. Um, I'm just reminded of just preaching the gospel to myself as you're, as you're talking there about applying particular, well, telling myself about specific aspects of Christ's person, his work, or scriptural truths. You know, if you're discouraged, maybe... Uh, Maybe just read and meditate on uh, Psalm 42 or um, Hebrews 4. Uh, I like to meditate when I'm discouraged or something like that on Hebrews 4, 4 14 through 16. And uh, just meditating on sp- specific scriptural truths is, uh, is really very quite helpful to me. Uh, yeah, I've just turned, I've just got the book with me and I've turned to it. Why, and, and so that's, should, can I read just a little section from uh, William Bridge? Yes, please. Uh, yeah, here we go. So this is, um, the scriptures hold forth the person of Christ in ways that make him very amiable to poor sinners. Are you accused by Satan, the world, or your own conscience? He is called your advocate. Are you ignorant? He is called the prophet. Are you guilty of sin? He is called a priest and a high priest. Are you a afflicted with many enemies, inward and outward. He is called a king and king of kings. Are you in dire straits? He is called your way. Are you hungry or thirsty? He is called the bread and water of life. Are you afraid you shall fall away and be condemned at the last? He is our second Adam, our representative in whose death we died and in whose satisfaction we satisfied God's requirements. Uh, There is no condition, but some name, some title, some attribute of Christ is especially suited to it. So you should not just look on Christ, but make the link to your condition. Hmm. There you go. That's wonderful. Yeah, that's that's wonderful. Um, How can Jeremiah Burroughs' teaching on contentment help Christians to grow in contentment and learn to let God's Word shape how we view our lives and our relationship with God? Yes. Yeah, great question. I, uh, Jeremiah Burroughs, he was he was exiled at the same time as uh, William Bridges. And so, again, he's someone who actually went through suffering. Uh, and uh, his little book, The Rare Jewel of Christian and Contentment, it's a great little book. And uh, it's not too difficult to read. I really encourage people to read that. It's as good a book on contentment as any there is. He, uh, I mean, one of the key things for him is that it's only God who truly satisfies uh, so he's very keen to emphasize that. Uh, again, that sounds, um, that's something that now I think perhaps, you know, we, we're used to that idea, perhaps just in recent years, we've, 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 there's been a sort of renewed emphasis on finding joy, finding satisfaction in God. Uh, it's, it's Jeremiah Burroughs who's kind of paving the way for us. Uh, he's lovely on seeing everything as God's gift. Um, uh, he has this sort of the little that you have is actually a gift from God. Uh, so, you know, instead of instead of sort of looking and wishing you had the more that other people have, you know, all the, well, well, whatever it might be, I guess these days, the riches or the home or the job or whatever that other people have, see, just receive the little that you have. This What, what, what you do have is given to you by God. Um, um, and then another thing that he's very strong on is that um, we can actually choose how we interpret our circumstances. So, you know, we can't we can't always change our circumstances, but we can choose how we think about them, how we respond to them, uh, how we make sense of them. And he encourages us to interpret them as God being good to us. And he kind of, again, he kind of, as with all the Puritans, but so often they, they kind of really make it, make the effort to tease that out. They don't just sort of chuck that statement at you. They start to tease out the different ways 
in which God has been good to us uh, in little and in lots, in uh, in our sufferings as well as uh, the, the good things that happen to us. Uh, so that's really helpful. Uh, another thing he says, he talks about uh, uh, not not um, adopting the standards of the world around us, particularly those of unbelievers, uh, not thinking that we are, are um, we have reason to be discontent because we don't have what other people have, uh, but actually to to view uh, life, to view possessions, uh, to view the circumstances of our life from the perspective of God, from the perspective of eternity, and actually to recognise how. How rich we are now, but but also how rich our reward is as we look forward. Uh, and perhaps those who have more than us now uh, to remember what their future is uh, if they're unbelievers. Yeah, it just reminds me of how you know because of what you said, we have we have the greatest gift that and the greatest news in the gospel that you know the world has ever known. We should be of all of all people. We should be the most gracious and humble and and generous people not not we're not just talking about money we're talking about our time and and everything um with with people and i know in my own christian life i have often sadly struggled with that um both on the gracious and the generous part and it just reminds me that uh i have the greatest news in the world we have the greatest news in the world and because of that we can be gracious and and very generous with with people not just with money but with our time and our talents and abilities and helping them and you know with the gospel um you know with with what we have been given as as a stewardship you know from god yeah and i think this is one area where the puritans can help us uh is this um you know they lived at a time when life was precarious uh one of the people we've included in the book is um a woman called Anne Bradstreet, who um, uh, was one of the, she wasn't the first wave, but she was a very early kind of um, part of that kind of Pilgrim Father kind of movement, settler, and uh, she wrote poems. Uh, she was a Puritan uh, woman who wrote who wrote some very striking, very lovely poet, poetry. But a lot of that is a reflection on loss, on the loss of her family members, on the loss of her grandchildren. At one point, her home burns down. And uh, so she kind of loses everything in that moment, or all, all her possessions in that moment. Um, uh, she also, by the way, she also writes some uh, lovely love poetry. It's uh, the Puritan. The Puritans have a sort of bad image of being um, anti-fun and anti-joy, which is which is unfair. It's not true. Uh, there were some things that they were against, but 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 again, you know, so you know, famously they were against Christmas, but they weren't really against Christmas. They they were um, against the kind of abuse of it. Uh, they were against theatres, but theatres were places where you went to um, pick up prostitutes. And, you know, they, they, it wasn't, they were actually into the arts. They were committed to music and, and, and poetry. Um, and, you know, they were really committed to all of life being shaped by the gospel. So here's, here is a woman writing poetry. And, and uh, one of the first, you know, female poets is actually a Puritan. Um, but yes, anyway, that's a digression. The point is that she was, um, you know, she was, the way she made sense of those losses was to view them in the light of eternity. And to look ahead to her reward uh, that was coming, and um, and I think that's something that really the Puritans can really teach us because we don't live in an age where, or well, we do live in an age where life is precarious and fragile, but we don't think it is. We're, we're used to the idea of cures for diseases and uh, insurance policies and uh, health and safety regulations, all of which are sort of good things, but. They can make us sort of feel a little bit invulnerable, uh, but reality is, um, you know, 100% of people uh, die. You know, no one escapes death in the end. 
and uh, and the Puritans remind us of the fragility of life and the longevity of eternity, if I can put it like that, that actually we need to be viewing life from the perspective of eternity if we're going to view it aright. That's uh, that's really, really helpful. Um, very good answer. Uh, Tim, just as we uh, wrap up this interview, and uh, really uh, been a fun conversation, um, as we just wrap it up, though, can you uh, give us a few takeaways that you hope readers will take away as they begin to uh, pick up your book? Uh, yes. Uh, I think one of them is I was very struck as I was sort of um, rereading and so, uh, choosing selections uh, that the Puritans studied God's word. That comes probably as no surprise to people, and uh, that's all very good. But what struck me is that they also studied people, and I think that's a really good model for us as pastors. Uh, so, you know, they, 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 were, they made the effort to understand how people tick. Uh, and they studied people uh, both, you know, just in sort of at a pastoral level in terms of life, but also uh, through the lens of God's word to understand actually the sort of dynamics of human behavior. And what that enabled them then to do was to really apply God's word to the to the stuff of people's lives. And I think that's a great model for pastors. Uh, it's very easy for us to sort of spend our time uh, with our commentaries studying God's word. All of which is, of course, key. But if we really want to preach effectively and pastor effectively and make God's word really live for people, then it's important, too, that we study people and understand how they work and what their concerns are so that we can, um, as the Puritans would say, we can sort of uh, identify the uses of Scripture. Uh, we can really apply it to people's lives. But perhaps the big thing, uh, let, let me admit this, the big thing is that big view of God. Uh, they have a big view of God, of his power, of his sovereignty, of his glory. And then they ruthlessly applied that to all of life, to every aspect of life, uh, understanding life uh, in the light of, um, of God's work, uh, of who God is and of his glory. That's well said. Well, Tim, thank you so much for the time that you've given to me and to our listeners today. I really appreciate it and uh, pray Christ continued uh, blessings on your ministry and writing. Thank you. Have a wonderful rest of your day, brother. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that you were encouraged by today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review wherever you get your podcast. For more uplifting and thought-provoking content, please visit us online at servantsofgrace.org. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Servants of Grace and on Facebook at facebook.com slash servantsofgrace. We hope you have a blessed day and we will see you next time.